Well, good morning. We have many of our own number who are gone today. As has been mentioned, some are traveling or away with family, but we're also grateful to all of our visitors who are with us. We're thankful that you have come our way. We appreciate everyone's participation in our worship service. We appreciate Ricky and his mindfulness in leading us in prayer. Appreciate Don and leading us in the songs that have been selected. Uh, I know that uh, we don't do medleys a lot, but they're usually encouraging. They're a little difficult often as a song leader, uh, but appreciate the, the chance to do that. And uh, I was joking with Robert actually before the service started. I said, uh, I couldn't find my sermon. And I just simply meant that, you know, I'd lost my notes. I'd left in my office or somewhere. He said, do you want mine? And I thought, well, if there's anybody that I could borrow, it would be Robert's because his are great. Uh, he does such a wonderful job. As he mentioned, it's usually a multi-month or so kind of thing that he puts together all of these thoughts to encourage us as we gather around the Lord's table, and we appreciate him in doing that. I want to make one other mention that we uh, missed earlier, and that was about our sister Leslie Taylor. Uh, she's going to have a, a spot removed from her arm uh, in the near future, and she was requesting prayers on her behalf, and we want to certainly honor that and pray that that goes well for her. So we want to be sure and, and mention that from the pulpit this morning. We have quite the busy day today, of course, uh, in our families. A lot of things are going on. I do hope that you can be back with us again this afternoon. We usually try to encourage everyone to stay all day as we'll have lunch here in just a few minutes. Uh, there was already during class a bit of a biscuit smell wafting through the room, so uh, we'll have to keep it fairly short. But we look forward to having a breakfast-style uh, lunch in just a few moments when we're done. And then we'll come back for our 1.30 service this afternoon. If you have a bulletin and you've noticed, it's going to be what we usually call our year-end review. I know some people think, well, wait a minute, aren't you supposed to be preaching? Uh, why are we just looking at pictures and talking about things? But uh, I have some other preaching friends who have done that and found it very encouraging. I've done it for several years here now to look at some of the things that we've done, some of the things that have happened amongst the congregation, and just a chance to encourage ourselves uh, here at the end of the year as we turn the page. Um, we've made mention before, but next Sunday, uh, God be willing, we'll be together, and we will have a fifth Sunday singing, as we have been doing this year. And so uh, knowing that I couldn't do that then, I'd like to get it in this afternoon, and we hope that you can be back with us for that. And we will have some application, of course, that goes along with the end of the lesson. It is that time of year uh, where it is the season of giving gifts, um, and that's quite the ride, isn't it, most of the time for many of us? Maybe I'm speaking more to the men in the room than the women right now, but it's quite the ride when you go to gift giving, right? It's, it's, sometimes it can be great and fun. You work so hard and you think you found the most perfect gift for someone that you want to give to them. It can be a little nerve-wracking, as we say, and scary. You hope that they're going to like whatever you get. If you're worried about sizing, you hope that it fits. It can be stressful, and it can also be hard to do. And so as I was thinking about a lesson for this week, I saw an article that was entitled, Here Are Some Last-Minute Gift Ideas. I thought, well, that's an interesting thought, and, and I thought that might be something we could look at this morning. So here, as we think about it, are some last-minute gift ideas. Are you crazy if you're trying to buy gifts today, right? If you're going to have to go out to the store and get out amongst all the people who are shopping at the last minute. Several of you tried to probably go to Walmart yesterday and it felt a little crazy, right? To get out amongst all the people who are trying to finish what they're doing and the shopping that's going on. But then really the article said some last minute gift ideas that are free, right? Giving someone a hug, giving someone a meal, preparing a meal, giving someone a, a visit or a note. 
there's all kinds of things that we can do and gifts that we can give that are, are free and even pretty short, right, on our time. You think about meeting someone and giving a hug or, or writing, handwriting a note out to them. That doesn't take a lot of effort, but it can be something that means a lot to someone. You can take a list, that something, look at something like this list, and you can see things that you can do that are last minute. They are inexpensive, and they're usually going to fill someone with more joy than the time and effort and money that you put into something else. I saw another article this week, and it was by Jack Wilkie, and it was discussed the idea of some aspects of Christianity. And I thought that would be a better one to take and adapt for our purposes this morning. I was reading what he was saying, and I thought, you know, we could call this God's gifts. There's seven things we're going to look at very quickly this morning. You'll notice they're pretty plain and simple, but when we think about gift giving and we think about God's gifts, then there are some things that we can encourage ourselves with, even if, as we go through these, I think you'll find them pretty obvious. It sometimes help, helps us, even as we think about counting our blessings, to write down the things that we know and some things that God has given to us. Number one this morning, God loves us. God loves us. It's a pretty simple place to start, but maybe the most important place to start this morning. You see, the Bible doesn't open with these words, right? You turn to Genesis chapter 1, and it doesn't say, God loves you, or it doesn't even say there, for God so loved the world. But when you do open your Bible, it begins with a God who carefully and lovingly creates, creates a world for his creation to live in. And really from that moment on, the rest of Scripture is filled with telling us just how much God loves us. And towards the end of Scripture, as we have it in our English Bibles, we see in 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 8, simply put, God is love. Or as verse 7 says right before that, that love is from God. You see, not only is he simply love, but he also showed love. I know that the world knows John 3.16. I know that you know John 3.16 so well. For God so loved. And even back to 1 John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 9, John continues that thought by saying, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. How, John? Why? What do we know? That God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. God loves us. The creator of heaven and earth, the great I am, loves me. And he loves you. And that is a wonderful place to start because that is a gift. As we sometimes sing, the poor, wretched worm that I am, God still loves me. And yes, God so loved the world. And we need to, as we think about sharing God's gifts with the world, we can begin simply right here that yes, God loves us. Number two, we might say God dwells in us. As Paul says it so plainly, and by the way, he says it so plainly, and we like to, to get lost in things sometimes that we forget how plainly he says it. In the epistle to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, he asked the question. And he asked the question in a rhetorical way, right? Do you remember how often Paul would say sometimes, do you not know? You see, I have to be careful sometimes when I talk to my children 
that I, I'm not a smart aleck, right? I probably am sometimes and I shouldn't be, but sometimes when they ask a question that I feel like they should know, it's hard not to respond. Don't you know? Don't you understand that? Paul's not doing it in a rude or a mean way. He's speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he says it sort of, don't you understand? Again, 1 Corinthians three sixteen. do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Let me say it again. It's said that way because we should understand it. And I get that there's a lot of things in the world where people misconstrue the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit, and so it's easy to start arguing and have these issues. But Paul says it plainly. God dwells in us. In fact, he says it again, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 19. And notice he says it with the same phrase, with the same type of wording. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? The thing about all seven of these things we're going to mention this morning is they sort of stack on one another, right? They sort of stack from one to the other. And God loves us, and he loves us so much that he sent his spirit to be with us. And I don't think we fully grasp that sometimes. And it's going to be really hard in the time allotted this morning to go into that. Have you ever lost your best friend? Have you ever lost your best friend? Someone that was so close to you that you would give anything for them, as we say, to have them back with you by your side as a part of your life? I think about this congregation and so many people that we know, the widows and the widowers that we love so dearly. And so often they say, I, I miss my partner, I miss my spouse, and I would love to have them back with me, dwelling with me, because once they're gone, we can't get that back here in this lifetime. It's not that way with God. The Spirit of God dwells in us, and that is something that we should be thankful for. In fact, Paul says it again in Romans chapter 8, although maybe a little bit more of an impactful way, Romans 8, 26 and 27 Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You know, even in our own life, again, a personal example, sometimes Hannah and I laugh because one of us can't finish a thought, right, and the other one can step right in sometimes, you know, just can't bring that name or, or that thought, and the other person can go right along with whatever was thinking because we, we're on the same page, hopefully, most of the time, and so we can, can kind of do that when you're so close with someone. The Spirit of God dwells in us and is able to help us pray as we ought because we do not know sometimes, and the Spirit himself makes intercession. How wonderful it is that God has given us the gift of dwelling in us. Number three, not only does God love us and he dwells in us, but he has spoken to us. I told you you know these. I told you you understand them, but think about it. He's not some nameless faceless power in the void. I know that we haven't seen him in the same way that we think about seeing things, but he's not some think, something out in a vacuum. He has spoken to us. We think about the encouraging words that begin the writings of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, that God has now spoken to us by his dear son. There's no better messenger than Jesus Christ. And God has spoken to us by his dear son. Or of course, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through, or excuse me, verse 16. All scripture 
is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man, that the woman, that the person of God may be complete. How often are we striving to be complete, to feel like we've got it together? As we think about turning the page to a new year, we make resolutions that we want to be better about things, and we say, I want to be, so to speak, complete. God has given us the ability spiritually to be complete, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has spoken to us and told us what to do in almost every single situation we can imagine. If you've heard me preach at all here, you've probably heard me say at least once or more, no, God does not tell us how to balance our own budget. But as we studied for 13 weeks here in this auditorium together, he has told us how to take care of our money and what to do with it in one sense, even if he doesn't go line item through line item. He has spoken to us, and thanks be to him that he has done that. He has told us exactly what to do, how to live, how to be pleasing, how to get to heaven. And again, with the stacking, if you will, God loves us. He loves us enough not just to create us and say, here, let's just put you all on earth and I'll just leave you be, but to speak to us and to tell us how we should make it through this life, be faithful unto him and have a home with him in heaven. We'll get there in just a moment. Number four, not only has God spoken to us, but God wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from me. You know, sometimes our kids think, again, to make it kind of a personal experience, but for any of us, not just my family, but sometimes our kids think, all you do is tell me what to do, right? All you do is tell me what to do, and you never listen to me. And unfortunately, that is sometimes true in relationships. Maybe we're not doing what we should as parents. And it's true that we do more giving of commands than we do listening sometimes. God could have spoken to us and that be that, right? He has the power. He could have spoken to us and that been it. I guess in one sense he could have retreated away to, to not have any interaction. But he also wants to hear from us. You've heard the illustration, I know I've used it before, that God's phone number is 333, coming from the passage in Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse number 3, God says, call unto me and I will answer you. Isn't that what we do in prayer? Isn't that what we do with a phone number? Here's my phone number. You call me and I will answer. I know the context is probably a little different here in Jeremiah, but it's also in his pretty basic form. God says, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. We're very familiar with Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6. Don't be anxious. Paul says, don't be anxious. Well, what's the recipe? How can I not be anxious? But in everything. You mean with my health? You mean with my budget? You mean with my family? You mean with everything that's going on in my life? Don't be anxious, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 2. Continue earnestly in prayer. We could go on and on with the scripture references, but we know that in any relationship, in any relationship, husband, wife, parents, kids, boss and employee, friend to friend, in any relationship, communication is key. 
we must communicate. Yes, we need to hear the word of God. Yes, we need to read and hear from him, but we must also communicate. It's a two-way street. Communicate with God. He wants to hear from you. I understand, and we don't have time this morning to get into the concept about how he knows already in one sense. He knows what's going on in our life, but he wants to hear from us. You know, I've used this as an example before, and I don't want to get political as we sometimes joke about, but I often say that, you know, the way our country is set up and our political system, our president, our senators, people in high office say, I want to hear from you. Right? I want you to tell me what's going on in your life and how I can help you. But most of us, if we've ever tried to reach out to the senators, or certainly the president, we can't get through, right? We can't, we can't get to them immediately because of the way things work in this world, in this life, the way it's set up. But how wonderful it is that it's not that way with God. I know that we cannot reach out and put our arm around him or touch him in the same way we can with a spouse or a friend that we communicate with, but he wants to hear from you. And what a great blessing and gift that is. Number five, God has given us a family. I'm going to ask this very carefully, but have you ever needed a new family before? Hopefully none of the kids up here will amen. But have you ever needed a new family before? I want to ask them if they've said that recently to anybody. Sadly, sometimes we have maybe needed a new family. Maybe because our family's not done what they should do. And I'm being a little serious in that way. That maybe someone's not done what they should and our earthly family has not been what it should and we've had to seek out other family to help in this life. God has given us and gifted to us a family. Number one, under this point, he's given us a family who loves us. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 comes before 1 Corinthians 13, right? Obviously. 1 Corinthians 13 is where we go to talk about love. You've heard it if you've been to a wedding recently, probably more than likely. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, though, Paul gives us the example of a family. And it's one of the more humorous examples. And I hope you understand what I mean. I'm not trying to be irreverent in any way. But the passage is talking about the idea of feet talking to hands and ears talking to eyes. And we only see that in movies that are animated, that body parts are talking to one another. But it's the way that Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, can get us to understand that we have a family who loves us. I know there's more included in that idea there, but God has given us a family, a diverse family, a family who loves you and loves me for who we are. It doesn't matter what the past may be. If our family is messed up or we have issues, our family loves us. You don't have to be anything in particular. You don't have to be perfect. You are loved. And as we see both preached and practiced in the book of Acts, the early church was loving and kind to each other. And we should be striving to do that here. And when we do that, we realize that while we can't put our arm around Jesus and speak to him in the same way, we have the next best thing, and that is the bride of Christ, the church. Again, I've said it over and over, praise be to God for his amazing gifts, including a family who loves us and a family who helps us grow in Christ. Do you you use this one? Because often we don't. You may remember Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, brethren, family, if you will, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, Restore such a one in a spirit 
<clears throat> pardon me, of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, <clears throat> and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. We should show love to one another, but we should also correct one another in love, help one another to grow. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, is away doing sinful things, and someone loves him enough, cares about him or her growing in Christ enough to turn them back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Most of us don't like to be corrected. We don't want to be corrected. But it is to our benefit. And not just even in the correcting kind of way. We should be here assembled together whenever possible so that we can study together and discuss these things. Our church family is there to help us grow, to push us, to encourage us, and yes, even to correct us in the spirit of meekness when that is needed. Number six, <clears throat> God has given us the gift of the fact that he is going to raise us from the dead. You know, because Jesus has not returned in his second coming, we tend to think that it won't ever happen, right, in our lifetime. Again, looking around the room, many of you have lost your parents and your grandparents and, and even great-grandparents and things going up in age, and we think about that. And so we think, well, it's not going to happen in our lifetime. Oh, sure, we know that he'll come as a thief in the night, right? 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 2. But while there is a chance that Jesus will return in our lifetime, there is a, a chance, there is also a good chance that we will all die. All of us gathered here. And isn't it amazing to consider that when or if we die, that isn't the end. That isn't the end because God has given us the gift that we will be raised from the dead. Even as we talked about recently in other sermons or lessons, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul says, I would have you that you do not sorrow, that you do not mourn, that you do not grieve as others who have no hope. That same section of scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4 discusses that those alive shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet him when he returns, and the dead in Christ shall rise. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. How wonderful will that be? How amazing is it to consider that death could not contain Christ, and by his resurrection power, we will be raised from the dead. And we can hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Not only is God going to raise us from the dead, but finally this morning, God is going to live with us forever. You remember the words of Jesus as he's nearing that, those last few moments of his life. We can't begin to imagine. Brother Robert gets emotional when he talks about it, and hopefully we do too as we consider what was going through his mind as he's going through the Last Supper as he's washing their feet in John chapter 13, as he's going to be in the garden in anxiousness, praying to God the Father, he says in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, Jesus says, where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Those are supposed to be comforting words. I think they were sort of in that moment. Those disciples are struggling with so many things. In fact, in that moment, Thomas begins to get his name, Doubting Thomas, when he's having trouble comprehending exactly what it is that Jesus is saying. But they are. Jesus says, I am going and I will come again that I can receive you to myself. Again, it's almost beyond comprehension to consider a God who loves you and me, who wants to have a relationship with me, who has given me a way of salvation and a family to help me maintain my faithfulness. And in the end, he didn't create some vacation-style resort where we can be whisked away to, to spend time on our own. The whole point is that we can live together. We can be with God. And the words of Revelation chapter 21, the words of Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, ring so beautiful to our ears. The new heaven and the new earth. The loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. God is going to live with us forever. Here's the thing about all that we've just said. Most of these are extremely simple. In fact, in the article where I kind of got some of the main points from, Jack calls them the most basic truths of Christianity. Think about what we've just said, that God loves us, that he dwells in us, that he's spoken to us, he wants to hear from us, he's given us his church. We didn't even mention the salvation aspect. Sure, it's threaded through all of those things, but these are some of the most basic truths of Christianity. And here's the question. Isn't it great to have a father who gives so freely, who has given so much for me, for you, and for the world? He's done his part in giving as we think about gifts, The question this morning is, will you give to him? Will you give your life to him? Just a moment, we're about to sing a hymn of invitation that through its words we might encourage you, encourage those in the audience who might be lost this morning. We don't like to consider that, but it's a a fact. If you're here and you've never become a child of God by putting on Christ in baptism, we sing to encourage you. One of our elders will be coming to the front in just a moment to receive you, to pray with you and for you. We often encourage you, if you want to know more about this plan of salvation, we would study with you as soon as possible. Because it really, again threaded through all these, is the greatest gift that God has given. A way to be saved and to have a home with with him in heaven. You can be baptized this morning for the remission of your sins so that he can add you to his church. But as many of us know, as brothers and sisters, we struggle, we fall away, our sin separates us from God. And we stand in need of forgiveness again. He's told us we don't have to be baptized time and time again, but we can repent of our sins and pray for forgiveness. He is faithful and just to do that. And we can again walk in the light as he is in the light.
The beauty of a day like today is that we can come here together. The beauty of a day like today is that we'll do it just as we've done every first day of the week. To worship God. To thank Him for His many, many gifts. And even to encourage one another. And to encourage you to become a Christian or come back to Him. Even now as we stand together and as we sing.